Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I'm good. It's supposed to be in the mid-60s here in Chicago for the next few days, and I, for one, am thrilled to hang out on my balcony. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds lovely. The dog woke me up this morning at about seven, 6 or 7 a.m. to go outside, and it was like in the high 20s, and I forgot just how terrible the high 20s felt. So that was... Uh, that was fun. Uh, the exact it was the exact same kind of fun as watching Penn State play against Ohio State this weekend. Of course, the Buckeyes came out on top, thirty-eight to twenty-five. Nittany Lions dropped zero and two on the season, fell out of the AP top twenty-five for the first time since they beat Ohio State uh, back during the two thousand. And 16 season, the Buckeyes uh, outgained the Nittany Lions 526-325. Penn State could not get anything going on the ground. Uh, Ohio State's passing attack was quite good, although Penn State... It's funny because uh, Ohio State had two guys go for over 100 yards, and I felt like Penn State did as good of a job as you possibly could against them. And Matt... When we talk about this game, we're about to break this down to the first half and second half, but I think the overarching thing from this game is that last thing I said, which was that it felt like Penn State did about as good as it could against Ohio State. Penn State might end up putting forth the best performance that any team in the Big Ten is going to put up against Ohio State this season. And they will. They lost 38 to 25 in a game that very easily could have been uh not a two-score game. Yeah, they played, you know, this Ohio State team is a buzzsaw, and I really didn't expect it based upon how much they lost. Um, but, but Ryan Day is a phenomenal coach, and more so Justin Fields, I would argue, I think he is the best quarterback I've ever seen at Ohio State. And, like, I saw JT Barrett pick us apart. I saw Dwayne Haskins pick us apart. Like, and, and Fields is a whole new level. So uh, I, I'm not confident any other team in the Big Ten can keep pace because that, that program, man, is just it, – it's starting to feel like they're the Big Ten's Clemson and everyone else is just playing catch-up. Yeah, I, it's it, – I don't know when in the game I necessarily started feeling this way, but – it was a point that I saw on Twitter. Uh, I, I can't remember who made it, so if it was made by a podcast listener, uh, apologies. But it really does feel like college football has three teams. It has Clemson, it has Alabama, as Ohio and State. And Northwestern. Oh. <laughs> no, not... No, no, come on. Uh, I, I would never say a nice thing about Northwestern football. Uh, so it has those three programs... And every other pro, no matter how good every other program might be, those three are just a cut above everybody else. And that's what it hammered home to me, Matt. This game, I think the overarching thing from this game is that when we go back to the 2018 Penn State Ohio State game, And James Franklin gave that infamous rant. Uh, I'm going to quote a little bit of it here. We've gone from an average football team to a good football team to a great football team. And we've worked really hard to do those things, but we're not an elite football team yet. And as hard as we have worked to go from average to good, from good to great, 
the work that it's going to take to get to an elite program is going to be just as hard as the ground and the distance that we've already traveled. I think, Matt, what this game proved to me, and you can disagree if you want, the distance between Penn State and an elite football team is either as big as it was on that night in 2018, or it has grown even bigger because the elite football team in the Big Ten is Ohio State, and the gap between Penn State and Ohio State, I feel like, has grown a little bit. This is a really great question. I've never really thought about it. I, I forget who sent the tweet, but there was a great tweet that said, um, Kirby Smart opting for Jake Fromm over Justin Fields changed the trajectory of Penn State's program, which is... That was, uh, that was, that by, was, our, that was by our pal Sam Cooper, who, if uh, uh, you would... Coop who, if you uh, would like and you missed this podcast, we had Coop on the pod with uh, myself, Dan, Eric, and Chad to talk about uh, Pat Chambers' departure from Penn State basketball. So go back and find that one. But yeah, uh, continue, Matt. Just to be clear, 110% right by Coop. But yeah, by all means. Oh, for sure. So I don't think the gap is is all that wide. I, I think the gap comes down to quarterback. And, and I think the days of college football where you can put the pieces around and have a game manager and you can win the natty, those days are behind us. Now it's about you need to have a quarterback who's going to go out there and be a first round pick. And And I think Oh, God. Maybe with the exception of Alabama at like the really early stage of the playoffs, pretty much every team that makes the playoff now has a first round quarterback like playoff last year. Joe Burrow. Yep. Um, Jalen Hurts, second round, but still pretty good. Um, Justin Fields is going to be in. And um, oh, my God, who was the last team in the playoff last year? Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. Oh, yeah. Some guy named Trevor. He didn't play last week, so I'll I'll give myself a pass there. (laughs) Like there's an entire new phase of college football where you need a quarterback and I don't want to you know have any knocks on Trace McSorley or Sean Clifford but they just aren't Joe Burrow they're not Justin Fields they're not Trevor Lawrence and the rich are gonna keep on getting richer because the rich are gonna keep putting dudes in the first round and and until that changes I I would if I'm at high you know ceiling quarterback who could go in the first round i would go to one of those schools you you have proof like don't tell me what you're gonna make me show me what you've made other people like me like i I don't think as a whole the gap is that big i think penn state has good coaches i think they have good players you know i I think they got really screwed out uh, of just this really weird off season where you lose micah parsons and then you lose journey brown then you lose noah kane that's a whole new ball game you know with with those kind of dudes and you know that indiana loss doesn't happen i think ohio state could be a win you know, it wide out, you know, it, it this is going back at this. We were still projecting this thing from like February, but I, I don't think the overall gap is that big. I think the biggest gap is just in the quarterback play. And, you know, I, I don't know how Penn State closes it because these young coaches, Ryan Day's Lincoln Riley's of the world are taking over for legends and hitting the ground running. And they're cool and exciting. Like, I, I hate to say it, but I, I think Penn State's best chance to to take that spot atop the conference comes when Ryan Day gets an NFL head coaching job. Like it, it, this gap, uh, uh, talent wise, isn't that big, and coaching wise, it, it's not that big. It's just that these big elite programs are so much more attractive because you have these young, exciting head coaches. Not saying Frank was not one of them, but again, Ryan Day can already point to more than James Franklin can, I think, in my opinion, based upon 
what he's gotten into the NFL. Yeah, and you know, I, I would argue I don't necessarily I don't think you're wrong on quarterback to be clear, but if you watch that game, Ohio State had you know, you could point to individual positions and say this Penn State player is better that Ohio Penn State player blah 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 that sort of thing. But I think that at basically every position, Ohio State's guys were, you know, maybe 5 to 10% better than Penn State's guys. And I think that all of those things, when you put, put them together in the aggregate, I, I mean, I'm going to bring up a guy that I know you're, you're going to be very, very happy I'm mentioning him. It's the Sam Hinkie mentality, where... If you take a bunch of things, a bunch of things in sports, and you get 5% better at them, that's not you're taking one 5% step. It's a little better here, a little better here, a little better all over the place, and you take this big collective step forward as a result of it. If you go from a team that completes, um, you know, from a team that completes 60% of your passes to 65% of your class passes, that's a big jump. If you're a team that catches... Uh, 90% of passes instead of 85, you know, just throwing random numbers out. If you're allowing, if everyone on your defense is 5% better, then you become a little bit better against the run, a little bit better against the pass, a little bit better in zone, a little bit better in man, a little bit better blitzing, like all these things. And I think Ohio State, you know, kind of separate from the quarterback, which you're completely right on, showed that the value of that extra 5 to 10% that you need if you want to be an elite football program. And I think where my um, uh, dismay stems from, I think dismay is the right word here, is that I think it was closer to them being, you know, 5% better than Penn State when James Franklin gave the good to great to elite speech. Now I think it's probably a little bit closer to 10. And you look at... You look wow. at all the various things that you said, you look at the quarterback play where Sean Clifford's a little worse than Trace McSorley, but Justin Fields is a lot better than Dwayne Haskins was. No, no disrespect to Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields is just a, a Heisman Trophy winner as opposed to a Heisman Trophy contender. Their receivers, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are two guys who can go in the first round of the draft. They won at the point of attack on seemingly every single play like their linebackers won at the point of attack on every single play as opposed to Penn State's linebackers winning on a lot of them their secondary kept winning their matchups whereas Penn State usually won their matchups I think of the fact that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson Olave 7-1-22 Wilson 11-1-11-0 and I didn't think Tariq Castro Fields and especially Joey Porter Jr. played all that bad you just look at all this stuff, all these things added together, and any sort of beef that I have right now, Matt, doesn't stem from what I think Penn State is. It's what I think Ohio State is, and how I think that hurdle is getting higher and higher and higher, and Penn State just isn't quite able to clear it yet. This is the moment where I think we're starting to see those two one-point losses come back and really hurt mm -hmm. us more than we ever imagined. Mm -hmm. Like, if Penn State can go into 2019 saying, look, we have a three-game winning streak against Ohio State. Like, could, could you imagine what that looks like for the trajectory of this program, man? Like, I, I couldn't even begin to wrap my... And just the whole narrative around James Franklin. Everything would just be so different. And, and 
and you're, that's a great point. Like it, it's the five percent. Penn State, pretty much across the board, is five percent, at least five percent worse than Ohio State. And add it all up, and you get what you got on Saturday night. And let's let's talk about Saturday night again. Ohio State thirty-eight, Penn State twenty-five. Uh, I think in general, and we'll dive into this a bit. It really did feel like a first half. The first half was one game, and the second half uh, was another game. And we could dive into it a bit in a second, Matt. But did you feel... How did you feel at the opening kick? How did you feel at halftime? And at any point in the second half, did you think Penn State was going to get itself in a position where they could win the football game? Opening kick, I felt great. And then after, like, I think, like, maybe, like, what, 17 seconds later when they ripped off, like, a 73-yard <laughs> run, then I felt terrible. Um, so that was short-lived. Um, that That's unacceptable, man. Like, I, I get you're young. I get you're getting settled. I, I get you have a new linebacker in there with Luketa out. But, man, that that was tough. Halftime, you know, how, how there was only really one only one way you can feel after watching that first half, and that was just underwhelmed. Um, but, but, again, w- what did they go into the fourth quarter down, 18? Something like that? 17? Uh, they Whatever went, it was. They went into the fourth quarter down. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. They went into the fourth quarter and the score was 31 to 19. Okay, so 12 points. 2016, they were down by 17 going into the fourth quarter. Like, so I'm like, okay, this exists. Like, and again, I, 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 I'm sorry, did I say 2017 or 2016? You said 2017. Okay, 2016. Excuse me. 2016, uh, when they won, they went into that quarter, and, and they outscored them in the fourth quarter 17 nothing. And, and again, I, I think this 2020 roster is more talented when it's you know at full strength than 2016 was. So I was like, okay, there's hope. And again, fourth quarter against Ohio State, you have hope. You're a pretty good football team. And then that's what I think Penn State is. And then at the end, I, I think that was just really where I settled. I'm like, okay, this team – this team isn't what it should be, and it's unfortunate that it, it comes from outside circumstances. Like, I think all of us expected Penn State to, to to lose. You know, they kept it close than I think a lot of other people expected. You know, they they barely didn't cover the spread. Um, but you know, it it, it didn't I, feel like tw- uh, thirteen points. I, I disagree. I, I think they I think they showed enough hmm. fight, and I think they played a strong enough second half to where it felt like it was close. Like th- this felt like a game where. If you can make Justin Fields to make a mistake, I think it can start pouring with mistakes. But uh, unfortunately, Justin Fields doesn't make mistakes. So I, I, overall, I, I think I felt kind of the same way all throughout, except for like that very first play when 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 things just looked awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it felt to me, you know, diving into the first half, uh, it felt to me like once Garrett Wilson had that long run, you know, first play of the game, Ohio State End around Garrett Wilson, hand the ball, stick it in his gut, 62 yards. Uh, was it Smith or Dixon that had a chance uh, and and just lost him? W- one of them. I thought it was Brisker. Or Brisker. It, it was someone. Um, we get that, and it just – that was when it really became evident to me that the lack of a whiteout was going to kill Penn State. Like, they had some shots of the crowd before the game that just, like, were haunting 
or the lack of a crowd that was just haunting. But once Wilson ripped that run off, it really seemed to hammer home, oh, wait a second, no, like there's not going to be, Penn State's going to have to be able to bring its own juice in a way that I just don't know if any team is capable of doing. And then they go right down, 62-yard run for Garrett Wilson, 9-yard run for Master Teague, 4-yard run for Master Teague, touchdown. Following drive, uh, you know, Penn State does one or two nice things, kicks it away, touchdown Ohio State, missed field goal Ohio State, punt, touchdown, uh, turnover on downs. Like, that entire first half, it just seemed to me like Penn State was, um, it, it just felt to me like Ohio State was going out there and doing its thing and all 22 players on Penn State, Matt, it just felt like things were happening way too fast for them. Do you think that's a fair way of putting it? I, I would put it as that Penn State played like, like they knew they were supposed to lose. Like, I, I don't know. I, I always think back to like 2016 and, and those guys in that team. And I remember like a video the team put out of Jason Cabinda like all week saying, oh, we're going to win. And this is like a four and two team. This is a bad football team. But I, I think they really believed that they would win. And I think from the start, you, you lose the whiteout. You lose that atmosphere. You know, I, I can't even begin to imagine what that feels like, you know, to go from running out to 107,000 people screaming for you to running out to an empty Beaver Stadium. Like, I understand why you're flat. And I think that's on the coaches to make sure they're not flat. But th that's a no whole nother point. But I thought they played scared. I thought they played like, don't get blown out, not let's go win. And I think that really was the mentality in, in the first half and then I think that really flipped in the second half when they're like, oh, like we're not we're not down 40. And then I think they kind of started to believe. But I think it was just too little too late at that point. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it. God, I don't I, I don't know how um, if this is disparaging or whatnot. It kind of felt like Ohio State. I don't want to say took their foot off the gas because Penn State really did start playing better. But in the first half, it just felt like Ohio State was hell-bent on doing every single thing that it wanted to do. And they were able to do it. Penn State's front on both sides just got pushed around. Penn State couldn't run the ball at all. Uh, whenever Sean... Maybe the biggest difference was just in how the two quarterbacks looked as they were dropping back. Sean Clifford looked, you know, I don't want to say scared, tentative, anything like that, but he he has a propensity for having happy feet, and that has been an element of his game for some time. And I think his happy feet got the best of him with how Ohio State was just winning the battle in the trenches, and then on the other side of things, Justin Fields is cool, as calm, as collected as any quarterback you'll ever see, in part because Penn State's front wasn't quite able to get there, and in part because Justin Fields just has, uh, he has one mode, and that's cool and calm and collected, and that was kind of a microcosm of the first half. As for the football itself, Matt, uh, let's just talk about both sides of the ball. We'll start with Penn State's defense against Ohio State's offense. What was it in the first half that you thought 
made it so Ohio State was able to just, you know, put its arm out, palm against Penn State's forehead, and just keep them back for uh, half an hour. Well, it certainly wasn't Joey Porter Jr. Shout out to him, man. What a game. Dude, that dude's going to be baller. He, you know, he cow, allowed, man. he quote unquote allowed um, that touchdown. That's the best coverage I've ever, that, that's the best right. coverage you can that play was, on that ball. That, that, that's, like, that play, that's Chris Olavi's a top 15 player in his draft class. Right. That's like, that is exactly what I had. I was talking about earlier. That's the difference. Like stuff like that is difference. Penn State does not have. No offense to Clifford. Clifford, we'll talk about him in a bit. Penn State doesn't have a quarterback who can put that ball there. They don't have a receiver who can get that ball there. And even against a quarterback as good as Joe Porter Jr., Penn State doesn't have the guys who can make that not matter. And we saw what happens when a team has guys who can make that not matter. I think give it like a year and Joey Porter Jr. is making that play every single time, man. He's going to be fantastic. He's already great. But I, I was just – I was so disappointed in, in the front, man. Antonio Shelton I thought played pretty well. I thought he played like a man with his hair on fire for, for good stretches. I think he has really good flashes at, at times. And otherwise, you know, you don't notice his mistakes, which is – you know, if that's your floor, perfect. But I, I thought the linebackers did a really poor job. I, I was really upset with P.J. Mustafer's performance. I didn't think he really clogged up the kind of space he needed in, in order to really make that Ohio State team one-dimensional. You know – we, I came in with very really low expectations for the secondary. I would argue they ex- they exceeded them. Like by at large, I thought they played fine. Like Fields is going to do that to everybody, and, and you you made him throw multiple incompletions. Congratulations! Like that's an actual accomplishment. Like I I think it, it was just them not having the kind of juice that the defense usually has during the whiteout. Them missing, you know, I I think the heart and soul in that defense and Jesse Lucetta, but. You know, th- this just got out of hand in a way I-, I never thought possible in the first half because I was just so high on that front seven. And, you know, tip of the cap to the Ohio State offensive line, man. They they showed up, they played, and that's a unit full of pros as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see if I tweeted it out during the game. Um, just the first half bot. No, I didn't tweet it out during the game because I was trying to see – the thing that really surprised me uh, was how Ohio State was able to run the football after they did not look good running it against um, Nebraska the previous week. It just felt like they were able to win at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I was never really concerned about them breaking off the big one, but they were doing a good enough job going for four, five, six, seven, eight yards at a time. You know, they averaged 4.6 yards per carry. Um, you take out, you take out Fields. You take out uh, the two ones for the team. You take out the one for Wilson. They were around, uh, I think they were around four point five, four point six yards per carry, which is fine. Like that's better than I thought they were going to do. Um, but they were good enough that they, Penn State had to respect their rushing attack, which is again not what I was expecting. I thought Penn State was going to be able to keep them from running the ball, and as a result, make Justin, you know, put seven guys in coverage, put six guys in coverage, and give Justin Fields fewer places to put the football, and they just weren't quite able to do that, and they they lived with their, they had to live with that. Like, 
Ohio State, again, we went through its drive chart, that first drive right down the field for a touchdown. Second drive, Penn State uh, turns it over on downs. What did you think of the decision on the first drive, uh, fourth and two, to uh, to go for it there? Love it. Do it every time, yeah, man. That's high I percentage. I mean, I, good call, man. Like, I, th- I think yeah, that, I, I think yeah. they probably mixed up the plays. I didn't think on third and two they should have taken a shot. I think if they were going to go for it on fourth and two, uh, trying to get the first down on third down wouldn't have been the worst idea in the world. Uh, but in a vacuum, the decision to go for it was one that I thought was really good. Two things. I don't love the third down call, but I get it because if you can draw PI, great. And if Same, not, yep. it's fourth and two. You should be able to get two yards. Yep, exactly. Like, that, that's that. Second of all, I, I think after Ohio State just went down and dominated you on like four plays, you have to do that. You cannot punt that close you know, to midfield. You can't do it. You got to go for it. So, you know, I, I think it was fine. I, again, I don't love the decision to go deep, but I see why they did it because you have to have enough confidence that you can get those two yards and, you know, just came up short. <laughs> boys if if that phrase doesn't d- doesn't hit a little bit different uh and then the other side of the football uh I mean, we kind of touched on it there uh but yeah ohio state touchdown touchdown uh they end up missing a 20 yard field goal which you know probably shouldn't have done that probably should have just gone for it on uh fourth and goal with three because why not uh penn state is able to get a stop uh, because Antonio Shelton burst through the line of scrimmage and sacks Justin Fields. Uh, then a touchdown, and then Ohio State gets a little, uh, I don't want to say they get a little bit conservative, but they uh, gift Penn State points. Let's, uh, let's put it that way about Ohio State's final uh, drive with Justin Fields kind of getting his knee down a little bit too early one of the weird that was, that was the funniest part of this game man that was awesome that's I, college football at its finest I, right there i need sure. more of that I, I i i have no idea how the hell that happened but whatever uh flip to the other side of the ball penn state uh downs field goal uh three and out three and out three and out field goal um to me there were two really big things that killed them on that side of the ball one they couldn't run it to save their lives Uh, Devin Ford, eight carries, 36 yards, uh, but his long was 23. So one carry for 23 yards and then seven carries for uh, 13. He just didn't have the juice. And then Sean Clifford running the ball, not much. Uh, 18 carries for five yards. Of course, there's, uh, you know, that's not totally accurate. I don't have it just on designed running plays, uh, but... He Clifford, it just took forever to get him going. I don't have the all 22 film. None of us do, Matt, but it felt to me like in the first half, they were trying to do more like slow developing passing plays to throw down the field more. And they just didn't have the time to do that. And their guides weren't getting open. And as a result, Clifford wasn't able to really settle in throwing the football and when Ohio State's rush was getting to him, which they were able to do pretty quickly, you know, he was uh, kind of SOL. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think a lot of that comes from this really young receiver core still figuring things out. I think they have a dude in Parker Washington. What do you think? I think that Parker Washington... Par- I think Parker Washington and soon enough Keandre Lambert-Smith 
give them two things that they really lack, which are just guys who can get open and catch the football. Like, I don't care that, you know, when Joe Moorhead was here, this was uh, a rock upon which this program was built. Big plays in the passing game. I don't care about those after the last couple of years. I want guys to be able to get open, to reliably catch the football, and if they're catching the ball and immediately being taken down, but they're catching it for gains of 10, 12, 14, I'm content, and I think that in those two, and in uh, in Jahan Dotson, they have those sorts of dudes. Yeah, I also think Jahan Dotson's going to go pro after this year, man, because he was a baller. Shout out to him. 6-1-0, baby. We'll, love uh, again, we'll talk about him in a second, but the stuff that he was doing in the second half against, against a guy who's going to hear his name called in the first round of the NFL draft was out of this world. But yeah, uh, uh, continue. Yeah, and, and I think that they have young dudes, but young dudes take time, man. Like it, This is going to take some time, and Clifford has to be the guy to calm everybody down. And granted the offensive line didn't do him any favors. The run game didn't do him any favors to take some stuff off his plate, but he, he gets happy feet, man. Cause he wants to make plays, but there's nobody there. And I think he really settled down in the second half, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second, but I, I it's, it's something that hasn't gotten better, which I think makes it very frustrating. And I really think if we had a normal offseason that that this would be all worked out. But, you know, this Ohio State defensive line, even without that surefire, you know, first round pick yet. I'm not saying they won't have a first round pick on that line of this group right now. But I I was just really surprised how uncomfortable he looked. And and he needs to learn how to settle in quicker. Like you can have, you know, the yips on two drives. But then after that, it's go time. You got to go. And. I think he never really shook that, and, and that really, really held back the offense for a good chunk of that first half. It, it was a mix of, like, I think it was a collective thing. Like, Clifford did them no favors by any stretch of the imagination, but Penn State's offensive line was getting pushed around. Penn State's receivers weren't getting open. Penn State's running backs weren't uh, running the ball as well as they could. Uh, Pat Fryermuth wasn't, you know, they, he just wasn't able to find Pat Fryermuth. Uh, as much as you would have liked him to do that. Like, it was a collective thing. I mean, it was, uh, he, he needs to be better, but everyone needs to be better. Like, football is a game of 11 on 11 for a reason. And if one, if there is a major weak link in that 11 in terms of a collective, you're against a team like Ohio State, that's going to kill you. And Penn State. Their 11 players were worse than the 11 players Ohio State threw out there on defense for the first half. Uh, and it showed. Like, Penn State just got outgained. Penn State got wildly outgained. Penn State couldn't run the football. For the course of the game, Penn State was 3 for 9 on third downs. Like, they weren't a, a, a big thing that I think they needed to do was control the ball. They lost time of possession 37 to 23, essentially. Like, all that stuff. Just. All that stuff comes together, and I think in the first half it really came to a head. But in the second half, admittedly, things did go a little bit better for Penn State. Uh, their drives were touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown, uh, interception, and end of the game. Ohio State, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, punt, missed field goal. So Penn State played them better in the second half on both sides of the football. Um, a little bit better. To what do you attribute that, Matt? Um, 
Kirk Shiraka coming down from the box at halftime. And I think taking a step back and going back to the basics, like, dude, Clifford looked sharp. And, and those were not complex routes that took a long time to develop. It was get ball, throw ball. And I think that's what you needed to do from the start, man. Like, I, I think it's very different because I think the Minnesota offense last year had a lot of these complex routes, but I don't think Penn State's there yet. So I think Shiraka really figured out pretty quickly that, like, okay, this Ohio State team is at a level unlike any other we'll face. Let's change our game plan here. It, it's see ball, get ball for Sean Clifford and, and get it out and let's rock and roll. And I, I really think drifting away from the running game and trusting Clifford is what Clifford needed in that moment because – he looked great. Like, that's the Sean Clifford that wins the Indiana game. That's the Sean Clifford that beats Minnesota last year, if that Sean Clifford's there. Like, this is what Sean Clifford can be at his best, and that's pretty darn good. And I really just think this was the first big coaching moment we saw from Kirk Sharaka, and, and I am so excited to see so much more because – I this is going to keep on coming back to it because we're 0-2, and, and I can only attribute it to the very weird offseason. But, like, in a normal offseason, this stuff is worked out in August, and now you kind of have to work it out in real time. So it, It's worked out in August, and it's worked out uh, when you're starting the season against uh, an FCS team – a uh, very respectable Big Ten, uh, a very respectable Power Five team, and uh, a Group of Five team. Yeah, exactly. Like, and you know, that's just the nature of the game today. Like, that's that's just how things bounce in 2020. So, I really like what I saw. I think if we can get that Sean Clifford, you know, for five drives a game, they'll win out. But and, mm-hmm. and I think that now that Clifford has that confidence that he can be that has the confidence that Shiraka is going to put him in a position to succeed. And now Shiraka has the confidence that his dudes can go out there and play like that. I think we're going to see a whole new ball game here for the Penn State offense going forward. I think this could be Michigan second half Penn State-esque. Yeah. I, I mean, when I look at... First, just talking about what Penn State did better, I th- I think the defense settled in. Like... You look through, and Ohio State in the second half wasn't as good running the football. I mean, Master Teague broke off a gain of 31, but then you look at the rest rest of his runs. Loss of one yard, uh, four yards, five yards, four yards, no yards, three yards. Trey Sermon for five yards, Trey Sermon for two yards. Like, Ohio... Those are just the first two drives, but Ohio State wasn't quite running the ball as well as they were. Justin Fields uh, wasn't as dominant in the passing game. He was still quite good in the passing game, but it wasn't he's dropping back and he's automatically completing a pass. I mean, I think of his six incompletions, four or five of them came in the second half of the game. Was some of that because as the game went on, Ohio State kind of took their foot off the gas? I don't know. Um, I'm... Uh, like I'm not sure exactly what happened there, uh, but Penn State's defense just seemed to settle in, seemed to calm down a bit. Uh, maybe perhaps it was getting Jesse Lucetta back in there and he was able to give them a bit of an emotional spark, whatever it might have been. But, you know, they finish up that first drive, Jahan Dotson touchdown catch 
from Sean Clifford. That was not his uh not his touchdown catch that I'm sure we're going to uh fawn over in a second. Uh, but after the first drive, for everything that we just said about the first half of that football game, after the first drive, Penn State scores a touchdown. It's twenty-one to thirteen. It is a one-score football game and it felt like Penn State was starting to do a little more stuff they were able to get Parker Washington Keandre Lambert Smith Jahan Dotson Pat Fryermuth a little more open more stuff like crossing routes more stuff to take advantage of the fact that Penn State has good athletes on the perimeter that they didn't really seem like they were doing earlier on in the game and it felt to me like they just kind of simplified things they settled down they were able to kind of use halftime to take a breath and they went out there and they played a much better football game. Again, like I don't th- this is a th- this is a moral victory, but they won the second half of that game, 19 to 17. They were a they, they just looked better. They looked more relaxed and I think it's a really at the very least it's a really good foundation going forward. Um and to me Man, I really do think it's as simple as you burn that first half tape, you take that second half tape, and you just play that and go, this is what we need to be as a football team. Because if we can be the football team that go that outscores Ohio State in a half of a football game, they still have a claim for being, like as ridiculous as this sounds, they still have a claim for being the second or third best team in the Big Ten. They're going to be the only team to outscore Ohio State in a quarter this year until the playoff. I'll say it right now. No other team in the Big Ten can do that. That's how good I think. That's how highly I think of Penn State, and that's also how highly I think of Ohio State. Yeah, I, I agree. Burn the first half tape, second half tape, and you say, imagine what this looks like, looks like against Maryland, and Penn State might drop 100. God, can you imagine, like, just how cathartic that would be? Like, them going out and just thrashing Maryland, like, uh, just the kind of comprehensive four-quarter beatdown that we're using on Maryland. Just, oh, God. Uh, like, You're for the common cold, baby. We need to see it. Uh, I, I, I don't I, I don't want to bet against uh, Tagovailoa. A Tagovailoa. Uh, even if uh, Talia isn't on to his level. But, uh, you know, still a... Just a very brief aside. How much of the Maryland uh, game against Minnesota did you watch? Uh, next to none. And I'm kind of okay. bummed. Because I heard he looked pretty good after looking like garbage. But, hey... I guess uh, I guess Minnesota is bad and Tanner Morgan's bad. I wonder who called that. <laughs> it, this guy. Yeah, I mean, my the bigger thing, um, the the bigger thing with me is that uh, it's very weird to see a righty tag of Iloa, but we'll. Uh, I, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will talk about that. Uh, you know more. what's weirder to me? What? We get to watch a Friday night, you know, classic rival conference game between the Minnesota Golden Gophers and the Maryland Terrapins. <laughs> Do you ever think about how stupid that is? That's a conference game. Minnesota-Maryland is a conference game. God damn it. When you take a step back, it's it's way funny. It it just doesn't make sense. They'd be in the same conference, neither here nor there. I do not negotiate Jim television deals. That was Jim Delaney's job. Uh, Really, the only thing I want to talk about for the second half of the game is Jahan Dotson. Um, eight catches, 144 yards, three touchdowns. One of the big, one of the best catches that I've ever seen in my life. 
after following another one of the best catches that I've ever seen a Penn State receiver make, um, well, again, we'll just talk about him for a second, but it does feel to me like if there is one real positive for Penn State's offense in this game, other than, you know, the more vague stuff, uh, Sean Clifford looked a little bit better, he got some of blah, 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 blah. Jahan Dotson legitimately does seem like a number one receiver. The kind of guy that, for how good K.J. Hamler was, I don't think he was able to put forth the kind of receiving effort that we saw out of Jahan Dotson against this Ohio State team. I'm going to tell a quick story, if you don't mind. No, floor is yours. As a proud Lehigh Valley son, there have been two players where I remember hearing about and being like, oh, there's no way that kid's that good. And number one was Saquon Barkley. I remember like the summer, because Saquon and I are the same age, the summer before, I guess our like junior year, everyone's talking about this kid from Whitehall named Saquon. And I'm like, how good can he be? And then he was Saquon Barkley. And then my high school career overlapped with Jahan Dotson. He was a freshman when I was a senior. And I remember we went to Nazareth to play them. And they were talking about this freshman named Jahan Dotson. And I'm like, he's a freshman. How good can he be? And then lo and behold, he's Jahan Dotson. Like, it, it, he is the only other person, you know, in, in a really talented, rich area where, like, I'm like, how good can he really be? And then he just absolutely blew me away. Like, And, like, I, I'm so happy for him because I think he had this, you know, I don't, I don't want to word it. This, not moniker, but, but this idea, this persona that he was going to be a complimentary receiver and he'll never be that number one. And he went out there and he proved he's number one. He proved he can be that number one receiver at big time college football and be a guy the NFL has to keep an eye on. Like, like he looked outstanding against the best corner he's going to face maybe in the next two years. So just, just good for him. I, I I'm so thrilled. And I hope he dominates this year, and I, I hope he comes back for his senior year. But, you know, if you can get the bag, if you put up that that good of a year, go get the bag, man. Like, like really, really great for him. And and him breaking out and having a big year is only going to do wonders for that receiver room going forward and giving Taylor Stubblefield, Stubblefield excuse me, and Kirk Shiraka something to point to and say, look, that's our guy. Like, before it was KJ, before it was Godwin, before it was A-Rob, Jahan Dotson going from complimentary to our dude no one saw it coming, and we made sure that happened. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, just generally, I think there's a bit of a perception with uh, receivers who aren't gigantic dudes. Like, he's 5'11", 182, like, really, really good athlete, but I think when you imagine a, a true number one receiver, you were imagining, um, especially in college, you're imagining a guy like Chris Godwin, 6'1", 209, just really physical. You're imagining a guy like Juwan Johnson, who's 6'4", uh, could go up and get it. Just do all of these things. And I feel like with Jahan Dotson, he gives Penn State someone who's really good at running routes, really good at getting open, has the athleticism, and has a, like even beyond him going up and Randy Mossing, uh, a guy who's going to be in the first round of the NFL draft, and then following that up by Randy Mossing, a guy who's going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. He just gives not you... only first round, first first cornerback taken, first second. He could be. He could be. And Jahan Dotson made him look silly, and I think that he gives Penn State the kind of wide receiver one that they have not had 
since Chris Godwin and Deshaun Hamilton. Like, again, for how much I loved KJ, there were just some things in KJ's game that made that I thought made him better suited to not be a guy that you want to throw to a hundred times in a season. Uh, well, KJ was one. Yeah. I think KJ was a one-dimensional receiver. I think it was oh, his speed, yeah. and that's it. It wasn't his route running. It certainly wasn't his hands. I think Jahan Dotson has it all. Yeah, I, I think he doesn't have the speed. Like I think he doesn't have the speed like KJ. But I think everything else he does well really equates him and maybe puts him a little bit higher up on that list. Yeah, I I I, I think that's fair. It, it, it's again, it's not meant to be a knock on KJ. It's just like that wasn't his game, and it felt. I feel like KJ Hamler is a is a more productive college receiver if he had a guy across from him or a guy next to him when he's in the slot that he just didn't have. And that it's going to be a really fun what if to play, but the good news is that while we're playing that what if, I really do think that Jahan Dotson has the potential to be a special receiver, especially because we know that Kirk Shiraka's offense, when it is cooking, I mean, Minnesota just had Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. It is good at taking advantage of having really good wide receivers. And Penn State has that in Dotson. And with him being able to contribute to the level that I think he's going to be able to contribute, it then frees up. a. It, you can hold Parker Washington hand a little bit more. You could hold Keandre Lambert Smith hand a little bit more. Uh, you don't have to force passes to Pat Fryermuth. It adds more variety in the passing attack, Matt, which is something that Penn State hasn't had in years. Yeah, I agree completely. Like, like the, the luxury you have from having a receiver like that and then adding in dudes who can really contribute and a coaching staff that knows how to build contributors is, is such a luxury. And I, I think once Sean Clifford finally settles in, I think he's going to be able to take advantage of all of those weapons. And I think this Penn State offense, I think they could win out. I, I think they're that good. Uh, again, I'm still so high on this team, man. Like, like that Ohio State team, to, to keep it close and to beat them in the second half, that doesn't mean anything to a lot of people. It really doesn't mean that much to me, but it's still something positive that, that I can latch onto and really get excited for for what's frankly feeling more and more like a lost season. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a... I think that's a very, very fair point. Um, let's end here by tying a bow on this game and going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, which is the gulf between Ohio State and Penn State. Like, you know, Matt, we, we have our little outline here. Number one is why is it there? But I think we kind of talked about that. Ohio State just is 5 to 10% better their players are like they have, uh, you, you know, I, I think this Penn State coaching staff is quite good. I think Ohio State's coaching staff has guys who are just a little bit better everywhere than Penn State's coaching staff. Not a knock. Like sometimes you just get beat. I think Penn State just get, just gets beat on offense and on defense with its players and its coaches. And there's going to be time for Phil Troutline or John Scott for uh, Taylor Stubblefield, for those sorts of dudes to get their units up to speed, for Kirk Shiraka to settle. Like, there's time for that stuff, but Penn State's not trying to be better than Ohio State eventually. They're trying to be better than Ohio State right now, and they just aren't. 
Ohio State's facilities are better. Ohio State recruits better. Ohio State better at all this stuff. Stuff that we have talked about God knows how many times over the course of this podcast. So I want to instead focus on the second thing we're going to talk about here, which is how slash can Penn State make up the gulf between them and Ohio State? And candidly, I think that's the question. Like, capital T, capital H, capital E, bold, italics, underlined, exclamation point. That is the question facing Penn State football, because if they cannot get an answer to that question, Penn State's going to be stuck as a great football team, which is which could be taken as a positive, but when you want to be an elite football team, you are never going to be able to do that, Matt. So how and can Penn State make up the gap between them and Ohio State? So I think there's three things, and I'll break it down kind of in... in... I don't know how I want to do it. All right, I'll just I'll just jump right in. Number one is you can't recruit like you did in 2020 and like you're doing in 2021. I'll be this isn't cutting it. Like this is not a good class, and you've whiffed on too many good targets. And I'll blame the pandemic for a lot of it. You get a pass for me for that. I understand, but but this can't happen. And Penn State's already at a disadvantage, being in the middle of nowhere, being hard to get to. But this can't happen. And you're really bouncing back in 2022 really well. That has to be your bar from now on. Like, you can't have down classes if you want to compete. None of these other programs we laid out at the beginning have down years recruiting. And Penn State can't have that. Number two is you need these coaches, most notably Phil Troutwine and Kirk Shiraka, to do what they did at Boston College at Minnesota at Penn State. Pump out pros. Pump out record setters. Be the kind of dude who gets your lineman drafted in the first round. Be the kind of coach who gets a guy from Western Michigan to set the NCAA receiving record. Be that dude. You have the players now. It's a harder conference, but I think Penn State has comparable talent to everybody else in their conference. They should be able to do the same thing here. And third, this might be drastic, and it's more of an immediate fix. And if Sean Clifford goes out there and balls out the rest of the year, never listen to this. This is the throw out what I'm about to say. But I think it's fair to say one-time transfer is coming this January. What do you think, Bill? Probably? Oof, God, I mean, that's just, like, it's so hard to pine your hopes on that. And But, but. No, but, I, like, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I feel like if Penn State can go out and get a better quarterback than Sean, I think Sean Clifford is probably one of the th- 30, 40 some odd best quarterbacks in college football, but that's not good enough. And it's really harsh because I think Sean is good, but this is one of those times when you have to let great be the enemy of good. Do you, do you know why Alabama made the playoff instead of Georgia these past couple years? Because they, because they had a better guy. Do you know why Trevor Lawrence started over Kelly Bryant? Because Davo Sweeney realized this is what it takes to well, win. Well, not even, like, not even. It's not it, even that, it, Matt. It's that when Nick Saban realized his best chance was to go with Tua Tagovailoa, he benched Jalen Hurts. When he real, when Dabo Sweeney realized his best chance was to win with Trevor Lawrence, he benched Kelly Bryant. Like it's the kind of. You know, to mention him again, it's the kind of hinky esque decision you have to make where you basically swallow the pill and say, listen, I've danced with who brought us, but it's time to go dance with somebody else. If, 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 huge if, gigantic if, big disclaimer here, 
Sean Clifford shows he can't be the guy who can get them to the big dance. Right. And I'm, and I'm not saying that like that. I, I think he's going to be great the rest of the way, but I'm saying if he keeps down the track, I think you go out there and you try to find somebody, man. Like I, I think there's enough really good quarterbacks, either in a backup spot or at the G five level who can come up and play at Penn state and win. Like, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility and I don't want it to happen. But if we get what we get out of Clifford as a whole, not like combined his whole, not just second half, but like his whole performance, I think that has to be something you take a look at, man. Like th- this is, this is what's going to make or break it. Is your quarterback playing? I hope Sean Clifford takes that Tanner Morgan esque jump in, the rest of the year and in the year two under Shiraka. But if it doesn't look like that's the case, I, I'm not going to fault Penn State for finally acting like the big boys of college football and trying to make a move like that. And, and again, going back real quick, that's why Ohio State didn't make the playoff or, or lost a couple years ago when they didn't go with Haskins over uh, over Barrett. Haskins was better, and, and they didn't start him, and that was Urban Meyer's biggest mistake. And I think James Franklin has to learn from that mistake, and if he can find a guy to help him avoid that mistake, you got to go do it. Yeah, God. I, I mean, it's basically you have to be willing to look at every single thing in your program from – from James Frank, and this is something that James Franklin has to do, it's something Sandy Barber has to do, all that stuff, and do, please do not take this as me saying Penn State needs to fire James Franklin, because I, I obviously don't believe that. I think he puts Penn State in the best position uh, to win football games that eventually win the Big Ten. Um, There's also no money for his buyout. Neither here nor there. But you look at, from James Franklin down to like recruiting interns every single thing and you have to be willing to look and say can we do better than this coach than um this staffer than this player than this 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 and this can we absolutely do better and can we do better in such a way that doing better gets us closer to our goal and if Penn State can do that, they have to do that. They have to start viewing things as no one can feel 100% safe in what they, where they are right now. Because that's another thing that James Franklin said in that rant. Uh, right now we're comfortable being great and I'm going to make sure that everybody in our program, including myself, is very uncomfortable because you only grow in life when you're uncomfortable. So we are going to break through and become an elite program by doing all the little things. What are those little things? What are the ways that you have to make yourself uncomfortable? What are the things that we need to do as a football program, the uncomfortable things they have to do to be to break through? to take that extra step forward, to do, to accomplish all the things that we in the Penn State football program want to accomplish. And we've spoken in the past about Ohio State specifically uh, about have to recruit better, have to do, lock down Pennsylvania better, have to do this, this, blah, 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 all these things. When Penn State catches up to Ohio State, it will be because a full audit is done of the Penn State football program and every area, Matt, where Penn State can get better, James Franklin grimaces, James Franklin gets mad, James Franklin gets frustrated, whatever it might be, but he does those things and he acts with the level 
of uh, ruthlessness. You want to talk about ruthless. Ohio State's kicker missed a 20-yard field goal, and we did not see him again in the football game. Maybe he got injured and I just missed that. I don't know. But it sure as hell seemed like he missed a 20-yard kick and then Ryan Day pulled him. We yeah, know. I, mean, I think that's what happened. We know for a fact that when a Penn State, because we just saw this against Indiana, when Penn State's kicker misses a kick, James Franklin doesn't pull him. He keeps him in the football game because we just saw that with Jake Pinnegar and Jordan Stout. Despite Though, having another guy on scholarship while Ohio State went with a walk-on. That's a good point. It's that kind of stuff. And it's hard. It's tough. It requires uh, being able to take a step back and acknowledging the fact that that is a person you're doing this to. But does James Franklin want to... like? How, it is on James Franklin to figure out how to balance that with doing it in such a way that it doesn't create this really toxic environment in the football program where nobody wants to be there. And again, Matt, until James Franklin gets to that point, until Penn State football gets to that point, in addition to all the other stuff that, again, we've touched on in the past, Penn State's just not going to be able to catch up to Ohio State. I agree completely. Yeah, so... It's frustrating. Uh, it's hard. It's something that I think we are going to, um, I, you know, upset obsess over for the next three hundred whatever days. It, it's something we we kind of have to obsess over. You know, I mean, maybe it, this really is an instance of as the season goes on, Penn State is going to get better, and Penn State is going to get to the point where by the Again, by the time the season ends, Penn State believes that, and it is believed that Penn State is able to compete against Ohio State, but I don't think that's going to happen, and I think that right now, the goal for Penn State football is to figure out everything it has to do, Matt, between the second that the Ohio State game ended and the second the next Ohio State game kicks off. So when that game kicks off, Penn State is the team walking off the field with a win. I agree. Can I be honest? Full disclosure. Mm -hmm. I think Penn State's goal now is to win the game, not blow anybody out, get the wins and then get the guys experience for 2021 because the right, the right, you know, I I don't want to say it's a lost season, but you know, this isn't what we thought we would be. And I think we have to recalibrate. So play to win. But then if you have to pull your guys up 17 as opposed to 24, I think you do it and get these younger guys some reps because you're going to need everybody all hands on deck to make it through this this grind of a season yeah, and get ready yeah. for next year. That, that That's always a really tough thing to balance because, like, you never want to do it in such a way that it potentially – that it potentially – because, like, Penn State is still very easily uh, – let's say Indiana – Indiana ends up losing three games. Let's say Michigan ends up losing three games. Let's say Penn State uh, – ends the season at uh, six and two, Penn State very well could end up going to the Rose Bowl or Penn State can end up going to another New Year's Six Bowl. And like those things do matter and those things do help. So like, it's so funny for everything I just said, there is also a matter of having to balance that with we're not punting on this entire season and just looking to 2021 because then you could just always do that. And it's really, really difficult to, uh, I don't want to say justify that, but it's really, really difficult to 
have a football program in which you are able to convince people where you're able to convince players, you're able to convince coaches, whomever, that's a program worth being a part of if you're basically lighting everything on fire the second that you're uh, you're aspirations of winning the big so like do, like do you get what i'm saying like not that i disagree necessarily but you have to do it the right way yeah i agree okay. right, fair. i know what you're saying and then real quick uh something that's totally grass uh, grass glass half full and doesn't matter at all to i'm sure literally anybody else is penn state got knocked out of the top 25 so we can finally get rid of those stupid graphics where it's like 30 whatever 45 straight weeks in the ap poll asterisks when eligible because of the stupid pandemic now it's just like now we made it x amount of weeks like now we get to start over again without this stupid reminder of why we weren't in the ap poll because of the stupidest pandemic in the world so little little glass half full thing that i'm really happy is over i i'm i'm very happy uh to end it on end this podcast on that point here's to another on the weirdest thing ever to actually make me mad yeah it's really uh, bugging me he, here's to uh, another 450 weeks of penn state football being ranked i think we can uh, agree to end it there i agree i concur all right well thank you very much uh this is a lot cheaper than going to therapy for myself and matt so thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you are subscribing to the podcast on all of our various podcasting mediums. Uh, if you're using Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us uh, a five-star review. Make sure you are following us on all of our various social media platforms and make sure you're reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is, as always, go and buy a shirt. It's again, a shirt. again, we have a new hoodie out uh, that has part of Dion Butler's famous quote from before the Penn State game against Ohio State in 2008. Go pick it up. I am sure you will love it. Uh, one last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. 2-0 Northwestern, baby. Hop on the CTA. Let's ride.